Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church Podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This morning, as we begin and as we open up the Word together, I want you to imagine a funeral, a gathering uh, of a very different kind. I want you to, to place yourself back in first century Judea. And I want you to imagine attending the funeral of a loved one, maybe not an immediate family member, but somebody that you love, somebody in your town that uh, impacted your life. And then so on this particular day, as you would gather at the home of the deceased, you would arrive there and the person has uh, been passed away now and has been for just a little while and the body remains at the home as you arrive there, as is custom. And because the body is there in the home, there's several customs that you have to follow. Uh, no one can eat or drink anything because you can't do that in the presence of the deceased. And there's a time of kind of intense mourning that happens here at the home. And just as you arrive, they've anointed the body with oils and ointment and they prepare the body. And now, just as you arrive, is the time uh, to proceed the processional toward the grave. And so as you walk along, the women who are mourning actually uh, lead the processional. And so they're front and center mourning as you walk with the body. And all those in the town, all those in the village that you've gathered, as the body processes by, all are expected to stop what they're doing and join in the processional. So as you walk along with family and friends and loved ones, more people join and more people join until you gather at the graveside with a large gathering from the town and the community. The graveside would look very different than how you and I would expect it today because it's really more of a, a cave, a tomb. And after a few words are spoken, perhaps some more tears, some more time of mourning, the body's placed into the tomb. There's a giant stone that's rolled in front of it and uh, those uh, leave the graveside and the family specifically goes back to the home. And as you follow them home, they return home and they enter into the home, but they turn all the furniture around facing backwards. And for seven days, they continue in a season of mourning where they're not permitted. They only sit on the ground. They're not permitted to work or do any business. They are not even permitted over these seven days to bathe themselves or clean themselves in any way. It's an intense season of mourning. And it's during this season of mourning in John chapter 11 that Jesus arrives on the scene. So we're going to turn to John chapter 11 if you have your copy of Scripture if you're a version Bible user, we have an event set up there that you can follow along with us with some notes. But in, in John chapter 11, it begins by Jesus receiving word that his friend Lazarus is sick. Now that's important because almost everywhere in the Gospels you read, Jesus is getting word that someone needs him, someone needs help. But this is not just anyone, this is his friend. And we know that Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. They're friends. And throughout the Gospels, you can read accounts of Jesus' interaction with them. But in verse 6 of chapter 11, something kind of odd happens. It says that because, now Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's odd to me. That's odd to me because to me, if it was someone I loved and I heard they were sick, immediately I would leave everything I was doing and I would run that direction. To, but that's not what it says in John chapter 11. It says that when he found out 
were sick. He loved them, so he waited where he was for two more days. So we're going to begin reading now in verse 17, uh, where Lazarus has already passed, and several days have gone by, and now Jesus arrives in this season of mourning, as I've described. Let's begin reading verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had been dead and been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. This would be very consistent with what we know about Mary and Martha in the scriptures. We know uh, from other accounts when Jesus came to their home that Martha, she was busy. She was a doer. She was fixing and doing stuff and even kind of resented her sister Mary because Mary just wanted to sit with Jesus. She wanted to just kind of rest. She just kind of was a beer. So, so Martha's a doer. And Mary's kind of a beer, and and you can all fit yourself into one of those categories, but here we see she catches word that Jesus is there, and she's a doer, so she's going to run and go be with him. And then in in verse 21, we see as she runs to meet Jesus, we see her in, in a moment of honesty, in a moment of grief. Remember now, four days of deep grief. We see her uh, meet Jesus, and with the pain in her heart, and an agony, and maybe some disappointment, maybe a little bit of a bitter sting, as she says this to Jesus, but also a tiny little portion of faith. We see her comment and and her remark as she greets Jesus in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What a sting that is. What a way of saying, Jesus, man, if you would have showed up, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you would have been here, where were you, Jesus? I mean, there's pain in her heart as she says this, but then look at what she says in verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. There's faith in the midst of her grief. Let's continue reading. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come to the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wow. Uh, Interesting that Mary says the exact same thing that Martha said. Really the exact same thing we all would have said, right? In that moment of grief, of brokenness, of God, where were you? She falls at his feet and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see. They replied, and in John 11, verse 35, it says this, that Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. I want to pause in this moment and acknowledge all series long in our series, Flip the Script, we've been talking about the moment in our story, the moment in the story where God, in faith, he redeems, he, he flips the script. And two weeks ago, we talked about in the life of David, as he stood before the giant and how God flipped the script, and from defeat, he brought victory. And last week, in the life of Joseph, we talked about in the life of Joseph, in difficult circumstances, heartbreaking circumstances, even in that, God flipped the script, and from evil, God brought good. And today we conclude our series by talking about how in the broken circumstances of Mary and Martha's life, from death to life, God is the Redeemer. And each week we pause and we look at a moment in the story that we call the flipping point. And it's the flipping point because everything up to this moment in the story leads us to believe that it's hopeless. So we pause now. We pause it at John 11.35 to acknowledge that in this moment, it would have seemed pretty hopeless. I mean, just consider the circumstances. Just consider what's happening in this moment, that Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus. They cried out to Jesus in an act of faith. Hey, hey, uh, Lazarus, your friend is sick. And Jesus doesn't show up. And he dies. And their brother has now been dead, not for a little while, not for a moment, not, hey, maybe there's a chance we can resuscitate him. No, for four days, he's been in the tomb. And as they watch Jesus weep, what do you think was going through their mind? Wait, Jesus, you're, you're the son of God. You're, you're not supposed to cry. You're, not, what are you, what, 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 you're weeping now? You're weeping? You're, you're the guy that can make everything better. And at the moment, as they watched him weep, they must have felt like, man, this really is hopeless. Even Jesus is weeping. What, what is true in this moment? And if, you're to, if you act like you don't know what the rest of the story is, what is true in this moment? Well, what is true is that Lazarus was no doubt absolutely dead. And their faith, the faith of Mary and Martha, didn't make any noticeable difference in this story. They had faith. We see that. We understand that. But in this story, their faith made no noticeable difference on the outcome. There was no good reason for them to have any hope at all. When have you been there in your life? When have you been there when, when you had faith, maybe? You believed God, God was able. You, you cried out in desperation and, and asked and begged and pleaded for him to show up, and there you stand at death's door looking around, feeling like, God, where are you? God, if you would have been here, if you would have showed up, this wouldn't have happened. The brokenness of my past, God, when, when I was dealing with the hurt and pain and I felt all alone, where were you then? God, when, when everybody walked out on me, where were you then? Have, have you been there? Have you been there in that moment where, in, in, if you're being honest before the Lord, maybe a little bitter, broken, God, if you would have showed up, this wouldn't have happened. I, I think... If we look a little bit deeper and we dive a little bit deeper, that's what we've been challenging ourselves to do. We understand a little bit more about what is happening here because through surrender and as we learn to trust, we're beginning to see and read and understand differently. You see, Jesus is weeping, and that's really important because the Greeks, see, they believed in gods, many gods, but they believed in gods who never showed emotion. Because to them, it was critical for it to be a God, for someone to be a God, they had to be above emotion because for them to be upset, to be hurt, to be angry was to allow something else to have power over you and they refused to believe in a God that could do that. So it's really important here that in John's account, 
he is making it really, really clear that this is a God who is grieving. Like, like I grew up in, in church, and I grew up, I'm not that old, but I grew up in, at the very kind of beginning of Sunday school class, we would have these flannel graphs, which anybody below the age of like 30, because I'm older than that, right? Do You have no idea what I'm talking about, so Google it. But it's like this, you know, this felt thing on the wall, and it would be like a cutout of Jesus, and Jesus would be like making this dramatic pose, and you'd like put him on the wall. And then you'd have other dramatic poses, like here's Martha, and she's crying, so you like put her on the wall. And it's, so sometimes we, I, I grew up with this kind of this static view of Jesus, that he like hovers onto the scene, and he was fully God, so I get that, you know, but he was fully man. And so I, I get this version of Jesus that kind of floats onto the scene, and he, he just like, he never smiles or frowns or sneezes or anything. He's just kind of, there's Jesus. And so John is, is making it perfectly clear, man, that's not the Jesus we're talking about here. This is Jesus, and he's weeping, not like, uh, not like oh, there's something in my eye, I'm good, I'm good. No, he's weeping at the graveside of his friend Lazarus. And I'm not sure what everybody really, this is one of the only times that we really see Jesus move to this matter. I'm not sure everyone even knew what to think in this moment. But you see, what's really important here, and what I, as I read the story, and I've read this story many times, what encouraged me as I read it is to understand that Jesus, Jesus is not weeping for them. Because in the moment, that may be what they thought. They may have felt like he's weeping, and it's like, oh, you're so hopeless, and this is so beyond, and he's weeping, and they're like, oh, this is terrible. But in the moment, look again, look again at the account. It says that when Jesus sees Mary weeping, and when Jesus sees all the others around him weeping with them, then in John eleven thirty five, 35, it says that Jesus wept. See, Jesus is not weeping for them. Jesus is weeping with them, with them. And you say, what, what difference does that make? Because in that moment of your life, where you felt alone and rejected and afraid and you felt like no one was showing up for you. Even in that moment, it would be easy for you to cry and say, God, where are you? You see, in that moment, you thought you were weeping alone. But we serve a God that's not far off. We serve a God that's not distant. We serve a God that doesn't just hover onto the scene, emotionless. No, 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 we serve a God who weeps with you in your brokenness. He weeps with you as you stand looking at the grave, looking at your lost dreams. And we talked last week about clarity, and that's something, especially when, when we're diving into the issue of hurt and pain in our lives, that's something that we always wrestle with. And we, we, in the, those moments where we don't have clarity, even then, the presence of God is right there with you, weeping with you. When you felt alone and afraid, he was right there weeping with you. When they walked out on you and turned their back on you, he was right there weeping. When, when you didn't know how God was going to provide financially to get to the next day, he was right there weeping with you. The God we serve, Jesus, shows us what it was to weep with us. So let's continue. Let's continue the story because the story is not over. And this is the flipping point because we see that God goes on to flip the script in their lives. Verse 36 of John 11 says this, and the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Isn't that the same question everyone's asking? Even in the crowd, they're asking it. Isn't this Jesus? Couldn't he have kept this from happening? Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been dead for four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you can today, if you're able, I would highlight that verse. I would, I would not in pencil, man, put it in pen, because there's some truth there for your life. There's some truth. Man, it was true then as Jesus spoke it, but man, it is true today in your life in 2019 that Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he said, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And look at the next five words of verse 44. It's too good. The dead man came out. Come on, you gotta, you got to circle that. You gotta, there's going to be a moment in your life. There might be a moment today. There might be a moment this week where you need to go back and you need to reread and you need to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. the dead man came out. <laughs> we serve a God where the dead man came out. We serve a God where, that, that's, that's crazy, all right? The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I cannot imagine what the scene was around the grave that day. I can't imagine what happened as Jesus flipped the script in that life and the dead man came out. What kind of worship broke out there? Well, I mean, somebody started dancing and running and screaming. I'm sure of it because at that moment, the dead man came out. So you're here today and you're saying, what in the world does this mean for us? What does this mean for us in 2019? It's a great story. I believe it's true. I believe God you know, raises, that that's, that's awesome, but what does it mean for me in my journey, in my story, and what God wants to do in my life? I believe for us, there's a powerful truth today, powerful truth on how God can redeem, how he can move us from death to life, and I believe this is true for us today. The bottom line for us is this, is that redemption, redemption means that the final word is his you got to write this down. you got to have this with you. you got to, because this is so true, that if we believe in the God, in, in his word, and his truth, and we believe that he can redeem, then what we're saying is that redemption means in my life that he has the final word. Not the circumstances around me. That's who we give the final word often, right? Not my feelings. That's who we give the final word often. Not the opinions of those on, on social media and like, what does everybody else think? And man, I, I love friends and I love godly wisdom and that's all good. But ultimately, when we believe in the God of redemption, we are believing and we're even giving permission for him to have the final word. That's what redemption is. And that belief, that truth, that seed of faith, even if it's buried in the midst of grief, even if it's surrounded and drowned out by a lot of, of brokenness and pain, that seed of faith can grow, and that's where redemption can take root, by believing that God will have the final word. That when I get up tomorrow and I'm staring that thing in the face, whatever it is, it feels debilitating, it feels overwhelming, it feels crushing, I look it in the face and say, oh man, my God will have the final word. <laughs> Right now, it looks like, it looks like death. It looks like this is going to destroy me. But I believe in the God of redemption, so he will have the final word in this circumstance and in my life. How do we know it's true? Well, look what Jesus said in chapter 11, verse 25, before he raises Lazarus from the dead. He's speaking to Martha, and he says, I 
am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. <laughs> Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, I do resurrections. Well, that's what I do. It's like my thing on the weekends. I go and I do resurrections. <laughs> that's not what he said. He said, I, I am the resurrection. Because, because this is the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we worship him for what he can do for us. And I've been there. I've been there. I'm not proud to admit it, but sometimes we worship him, and that's not a relationship. That's kind of religion. That's where we just show up, and we think like the vending machine. I pray the prayer. I push the button. Out comes the blessing. And, and that's not why Jesus came. That's not why he died on the cross for you. He died because he wants to be in relationship with you. And when we understand that, we understand it's not that we serve a God who does resurrections. We serve a God who is the resurrection in the life. And that changes everything because Martha, she was pointing to a resurrection one day. Well, one day I believe the resurrection will happen. And I think, it, and that, I, I believe that too. But if that's my only hope, then my only hope is let's just, let's just kind of grit our teeth and let's struggle through and life is hard. And, but Jesus is standing before her and he's saying, man, I am the resurrection. I am the life, that there is life found in me now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. Uh, it's coming. The resurrection is coming. But right now, today, as I stand before you, Jesus says, there's resurrection life. And you can believe in me, and there is life that death cannot touch. There is life that the grave cowers back in fear from that, because why? Jesus knew what was coming for him. He knew what his story was. He knew that his mission, he didn't come just to do miracles and teach stories that we could read about later. That's not ultimately the only reason. I mean, he came, he did all that, but the reason that Jesus came is because you and I needed a Savior, that you and I were lost because of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through Jesus is eternal life. And so Jesus came. And in fact, John's gospel, if you look at uh, in John 11, it really is the turning point because the moment that he raises Lazarus from the dead, immediately the religious leaders want him dead. Immediately, not just him, they want to kill Lazarus too because immediately, suddenly everyone's believing that he is the son of God. And they're afraid, and so from that moment on, the moment that he brings Lazarus out of the dead, his fate was certain, that he was going to die. He, he was going to be punished and killed on the cross. And Jesus knew that, and so as he stands there and says, I am the resurrection and the life, he had to have known the cross was coming. He had to have known suffering was on the way, but he knew that he would be put in the grave. And three days later, he would come marching out because death would be defeated. Why? Because he is resurrection. He is life. That's who our God is. And that's good news this morning, isn't it? Isn't that good news? <laughs> I, I don't know your circumstances today. I don't know where you're walking, but I believe if we serve a God that could even overcome death there is nothing in your life he can't overcome there is nothing in your life that if you don't give him permission to have the final word he can't redeem it for your good he out of death out of the ashes of despair he can bring life why that's who he is he's the resurrection and the life we have a, a couple in our church family in our church alex and jenny fultz that today i asked them to share their story, their story is a powerful one of God redeeming and bringing from death new life. So we're going to pause for a minute. I'm going to ask them to share their story. Watch and listen to how he brings from death. So I'm, I'm Alex Foltz, and um, 
We're from Mathias, West Virginia. It's a long haul for us, but we, we love we love this community and we love we love the community we have here and we love we love the church, the body in itself. I'm Jenny Fultz. We've been married for almost five years. Um, I've grown up in cities, New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, and I married a turkey farmer. About two years ago now, it was June of 2017, we found out we were pregnant, and we also found out at the same time that um, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer while I was also seven weeks pregnant. It's as a as a leader of the household. It's just you know you want to you want to try to solve the problem like you know right away. And I <laughs> know. We didn't have a lot of information at first, but once we found out the news, we were given all sorts of recommendations from the doctors to abort our baby, and so we could better treat me with radiation and chemo. So we quickly decided that that was not an option for us, even if that meant that um, my outcome might be not as good medically. With the doctor's help, actually, they came up with a plan, um, a different plan than what they normally would have done, but we um, were able to do surgery while I was nine weeks pregnant to remove the tumor, and then we did IV chemo during my second trimester. And then after the, our baby was born healthy, Carter, he's a year and a half now, he'll be two in February. Um, God just, um, protected him and we have a healthy baby boy. So um, then once Carter was born, um, because I didn't do radiation because I was pregnant, we did more scans and we found another lymph node. Um, so when Carter was about two months old, I had to go back in to do a major surgery to remove that lymph node. Um, and then when Carter was about four months old, I then had to do radiation and more chemo um, in Charlottesville. And once that was finished, we had one more surgery to reverse the ileostomy that I had through that procedure. And then August of 2018, we had our first clear scans. And so we've had now a year of clear scans. I remember very newly in the beginning when I was getting an MRI. Um, we were trying to find out the stage. I knew I was pregnant. I knew I probably had cancer. And I was laying there on the MRI table. Um, it takes about an hour and they were playing Christian music in the background. And I just had this peace come over me. I was very nervous. I was very scared. Um, but I just felt God saying, like, I'm with you. You don't need to be afraid. Everything is going to be okay, and I knew that okay. I wasn't sure what that okay meant, whether I was going to be in heaven soon or whether I was going to be able to uh, be here with Alex and Carter and to tell our testimony, but I knew that okay meant that he was with me and that he loved me, and that was why I was going to be okay. And I didn't know whether or not I would make it here on earth if I would have a long life or even if Carter would have a long life. 
um, and that that wasn't the prize, but that Jesus being my Savior and um, loving me, us having a relationship with Him was the ultimate prize. Uh, Jenny and Alex were here in the first service. Aren't you glad that resurrection life is in the room? <laughs> we serve a God who's still in the business of redeeming even death and bringing life. I've gotten to see that video a few times now, and the thing that always stands out to me, I knew uh, their story, but at the end when Jenny talks about that ultimately it was Jesus is my prize. What a beautiful, beautiful outlook on redemption that we don't know we don't have clarity we don't know how this is going to turn out but because i've given permission for him to have the final word because in redemption in the redemption the final word is his he's my prize and no matter what no matter what i know he's with me today i'm going to invite you uh, we're going to begin the band's going to begin to play and we're going to end and conclude this morning with a time of worship but I'm going to ask you this morning to just do one thing as we conclude this series that I think some of us really need. I think some of us, this, this may be a series that for you could be life-changing. God uses it to transform the trajectory of your future. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at abeaconofhope.org. That's info at abeaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and then at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 